You're listening to the free abridged edition of the Energy Transition Show. American coal, nuclear energy, natural gas, hydro, solar power, wind turbines. We're becoming a monumental exporter of natural gas. This boom in the United States is not a bubble that's going away. The oil's still there. I'd rather pump it from another country and save ours, and then when the rest of the world runs out, hey, guess what? We can yeah. still turn on our lights. We've run into a problem where we have constraints, where there are limits now. The new phase we're going into related to the exhaustion of these resources, there's no replacement. This is a one-shot affair, and we're unprepared for it. Really, we do not have very much more time to get a handle on this problem. It's better to get to a renewable future, a sustainable future, sooner rather than later. Get there before we do the environmental damage, not after. For November 28th, 2018, this is the Energy Transition Show with Chris Nelder. Germany has long been at the forefront of energy transition. Indeed, their word for it, Energiewende, has entered the vernacular for energy transitions everywhere, including countries that don't even speak German. But while contemporary observers may know that, starting over a decade ago, Germany helped create the demand for solar power that drove down the cost of the technology to the point where it's now competitive with nearly any other energy source globally, they may be puzzled by the fact that Germany has also been intent on shutting down their nuclear plants at the same time, which is hard to understand at a time when reducing carbon emissions is the name of the game. And even those who may know a bit about Germany's nuclear phase-out may believe that the policy stemmed from the Fukushima nuclear plant meltdown in Japan in 2011, when actually Germany's anti-nuclear movement began in the 1970s, never went away, and had merely paused briefly before the Fukushima disaster reinvigorated it. And then there are the critics, the nuclear proponents and the vested interests of the fossil fuel complex, who would like to put an end to the energy transition, and who have for years tried to paint Germany's energy transition as a failure because of the persistence of coal in its power generation. But they won't be able to do so for much longer. Not only is Germany finally making meaningful reductions in its coal usage and planning their final exit from coal, they are planning their transition to a renewably powered system as well. And judging from the past decade of the energy vendors' success, no one should doubt that they can do it while keeping the lights on and keeping power bills affordable. To put this complex past, present, and future in context, our guest today is Dr. Patrick Reichen, the director of Agora Energiewende, a think tank and policy laboratory based in Berlin, which develops scientifically based and politically feasible approaches for ensuring the success of the German energy transition. He has had a front row seat to the Energiewende going all the way back to the 1970s and is an expert on the topic with a sober and clear-eyed view of how it is likely to unfold in the future, and it's a real privilege to have him on the show. Then in the news segment, we'll look at some of the fallout from the popular protests in Germany against coal mining. We'll ask whether Spain's approach to ending domestic coal mining can be replicated elsewhere. We'll consider the bright outlook for solar in Spain now that it has removed the tolls and charges that have held the sector down for years. We'll evaluate the risk of the oil industry finally awakening to the threat of electric vehicles, and we'll check in with a very cool and unusual way of exposing young people to information on climate change. But before we dive into the show, I'd like to take a moment to share a couple of exciting announcements for the Energy Transition Show. First, a big shout out to Nicola Peel-Molter for being our very first philanthropic donor. Her very generous donation is helping us to continue to build out our listener response platform, and we are very grateful for that. She's been a huge supporter of the show from the very beginning and connected us to some of the amazing women we've had as guests on the show who are always a challenge for me to find. So thank you, Nicola. 
Second, we're very pleased to announce that our first two site licenses are up and running. So if you have an email address at Carnegie Mellon University in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, or at King Abdullah Petroleum Studies and Research Center in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia, you now have full access to all of our full shows and our complete back catalog, thanks to the generous support of those fine institutions. Contact the school library for information on how to register your account, or just drop a line to support at energytransitionshow.com. And thanks very much to Energy Transition Show alumnus Costa Samaras for encouraging us to develop a site license for Carnegie Mellon. And if you are a professor or a student at another institution that might be interested in making the Energy Transition Show available to your entire campus, drop us an email and we'll get the ball rolling. We love making the show available to as many people as possible, and a site license is by far the least expensive way to become a subscriber. And now, our conversation with Patrick Reichen, recorded November 5th, 2018. So, let's bring him into the conversation now. Welcome, Patrick, to the Energy Transition Show. Hi there. We last covered energy transition in Germany, known as the Energiewende, back in episode four of this podcast three years ago, when we spoke to Craig Morris about the history of Germany's energy transition movement. But much has changed over the past three years, of course, and I thought it would be interesting to bring you on the show and get your current view of how it's going and what the future holds for emissions reductions in Germany. But before we dive into that, perhaps you could briefly explain to our listeners what your organization, Agora Energiewende, is what it does, and how it's funded. So we're a think tank based in Berlin, working on the Energiewende, the energy transition, not only in Germany, but also in Europe and increasingly international. And we're funded by foundations, mostly. So the European Climate Foundation, the Mercator Foundation, they've said we want an independent voice to cover anything that is needed to make the Energiewende a success. And that's what we're doing. So how long has the organization been around and how was it created? We were created in 2012 in the aftermath of the Fukushima accident and the decision of Germany to embark on a renewables-led transformation. And we've been quickly engaged in, I think, all major discussions here in the sense that we've put insights what the Energiewende really means. It means building a society based on wind and solar and how such an energy system could work if one relies on unreliable energy sources. And your main product is policy, I assume, policy recommendations and research. Exactly. So we put forward, I'd say, some 20, 25 publications a year, sometimes just short policy notes, sometimes long, thick studies, (laughs) where you're always asking yourself who's reading it. But in the end, you do find a lot of people are actually interested in those details because it is new stuff. Yeah, There is no country in the world that has established an energy system based on wind and solar. So we are trying to chart that territory. Yes, and I am one of those people who you will find deep in the back pages of the report, <laughs> looking at the footnotes. <laughs> That's great, Chris. Yes. <laughs> okay. Well, let's talk about the progress that Germany's made so far. Some years ago, and sadly even still today, a lot of mainstream journalists still seem to delight in saying that Germany's energy transition has been a failure because it wasn't reducing emissions quickly enough, and because coal has remained a very significant source of Germany's electricity generation. But 
But what none of them apparently realized is that the intention of the Energiewende originally wasn't to reduce carbon emissions. It was to shut down and replace the nuclear capacity. And that was driven by a popular movement that actually started in the 1990s and was mostly, I think, organized by farmers. So why do you think so many people failed to understand the original intention of the Energiewende? Well, I think it is unique in the sense that Germany has such a strong anti-nuclear movement which has made it into a government. So that's something that is strange for a lot of people in the Anglo-Saxon world, but also, of course, in our neighbors in France. And they do understand that one wouldn't want to phase out coal, but that a country also wants to phase out nuclear because of its inherent problems is something they've never really acknowledged as something that one should do. And therefore, well, we were rightly challenged that our coal emissions didn't go down, while there was very little recognition that the nuclear phase-out is very straightforward and everything is happening along the original time path. And the original concern amongst everyday Germans with nuclear was what? Well, I think it started already in the 70s, where there was the plan basically to build nuclear power plants in Germany as in France. So we would have had more than 70% nuclear power in Germany if those plans would have come to play. And that would have meant a lot of nuclear power plants really next to each neighborhood. And that was the birth of the anti-nuclear movement. A lot of farmers at that time said, I don't want a nuclear power plant next to my fields. And that then led partly to the Green Party to be founded in 1980 and then becomes a relevant political player. And then finally, at the end of the 1990s, the Social Democrats and the Greens in Parliament and in the government saying we're going to phase out nuclear. So that was a long history of, I'd say, the birth of the environmental movement in Germany was the anti-nuclear movement. And that was, I mean, starting in the 70s, I mean, clearly that movement then would have been informed by things like Three Mile Island. Oh, yes, definitely. Yeah. Three Mile Island was one of the key incidents that then really led that movement to become a major force. And in the end, there was a planned a nuclear rehabilitation facility here in Wackersdorf. And that was the biggest clash, I would say, in the 80s. Political clash in Germany was around that site, which in the end was never built. And then Chernobyl came, and that in 1986 then made it a thing where the majority of the population in Germany is anti-nuclear now. Right. Okay. So the nuclear phase-out began long before there was any global movement to reduce carbon emissions. I mean, nobody was talking about carbon yes. emissions in the 70s and the 80s. And it wasn't really a reaction to Fukushima either, because that didn't happen until 2011. Although that did make the nuclear phase-out a priority again in Germany. Is that fair to say? Well, Fukushima basically led to even the conservatives and the liberals saying we need a nuclear phase-out. Hmm. Up to then, this was a partisan issue. So the Social Democrats and Greens were pro-nuclear phase-out, the liberals and the conservatives were against. And after 2011, that issue was so toxic 
that this became a bipartisan and we had an 85% majority in parliament to phase out nuclear. Oh, interesting. And the other 15% said it need to be happening faster than 2022. Oh, gotcha. So therefore, Fukushima really made it unstoppable. And we are now having the next four years, the last nuclear power plant being shut down in Germany. Yeah, I mean, the nuclear phase out is, as you say, it's happening on schedule. The share of Germany's electricity generated by nuclear power fell from 27% in 2003 to just 12% in 2017. In fact, it fell 11% in last year alone, and it is on schedule to be entirely phased out just four years from now, right, in 2022. Exactly. So okay. we know the end dates of each nuclear reactor, and there is no one in the energy industry who challenges that anymore. They're all planning the end of their lifetime of the power plants now. Well, speaking as an American, I can only express my envy over your ability to actually plan. An well, energy transition. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we have our ups and downs as well. I mean, yeah. if you look at the nuclear phase out, for example, we had it decided and placed into law in the year 2000. There were several nuclear power plants then shut down. And then in 2009, the Christian Democrats and the liberals said, ah, we want to prolong the lifetime of the nuclear power plants. And then after Fukushima, they said, ah, let's go back to square one and have it still the old way of 2000. So you're not the only one who sees a lot of <laughs> hiccups in energy policy. Okay. But there is still clearly popular support for the nuclear phase out in Germany, even, oh, yes. even with you know the fact that addressing climate change and reducing emissions has now become the global policy priority. I mean, are yeah. Germans concerned about losing this zero carbon source of power generation? Not really, in the sense that, yes, we want zero carbon power, but not with the technology that is so dangerous and has so many nuclear waste disposal problems, which no one has ever solved yet. So, yeah. so while everyone here wants zero carbon energy system, it is very clearly understood that this has to be based on renewables. Okay. So you can sort of see, though, how those who haven't really paid close attention to the data might be confused by what's happened in Germany. I mean, brown coal is still the largest single fuel in Germany's power generation portfolio at 25%, which is actually about the same as it was three years ago. But on the other hand, over that same time, the share of hard coal fell by 4%, nuclear fell by almost 3%. And the difference was mostly made up by building more solar and wind. So overall, the share of electricity and generation in Germany provided by renewables is 7% larger in just three years. So it seems that everyone can sort of see in the energy vendor whatever they want to see, right? <laughs> like, those who want to emphasize the renewables and the success of the transition can say, yes, the share of renewables is still growing nicely. And those who want to say that it's been a failure can say, ah, but it's also true that nearly 60% of power generation is still provided by non-renewables. Yeah, and both are right. That's the yeah. issue. Yeah. So the real challenge actually that lies ahead now is that after the nuclear phase-out, we need the coal phase-out. And while I think hard coal will gradually go away, pushed out by more renewables and hopefully a carbon price in the EU ETS that is meaningful, with lignite it's a different thing. Lignite, brown coal is something we dig out of the ground here in Germany ourselves. 
it's open site mining, it's fairly cheap to mine. Therefore, we have to phase out lignite just the way we phased out nuclear, by a political decision, hard battles within the policy arena. And it's clear that that is the next job of environmental policy in Germany. Yeah, I mean, because you can't do it on the basis of price because it's just too damn cheap. Yeah, exactly. Right. You can, but you'd need a carbon price of. You need a very high carbon price. 70, 80 euros per ton of CO2. So 70, 80 dollars per ton of CO2. And there's no ETS system anywhere in the world that has so high carbon prices. We hope you've enjoyed this free sample of the Energy Transition Show. Our full episodes cover much more and are generally at least an hour long. In addition to two full new episodes each month, subscribers can also view interactive transcripts of our interviews and explore our extensive show notes with links to all of the research resources and news items for each episode. Our subscription podcast works in all podcast apps and players, including iTunes, and is downloadable. The first 33 episodes of the Energy Transition Show were free and always will be, so if you want to see what our full shows contain, feel free to check those out. Then we hope you'll become a member and support our show. In order to bring you the most unfiltered, unbiased, honest information we can produce, we have elected not to take any sponsors or advertisers. 100% of the revenue that makes the Energy Transition Show possible comes from listener subscriptions. To become a subscriber and enjoy our full offerings, just point your browser to energytransitionshow.com and click the Become a Member button. There are several ways to become a subscriber. Annual subscriptions, which include full access to our entire back catalog of full-length episodes, are just $60 a year or $5 a month. Monthly subscriptions are just $6.99 a month and give you access to the two most recent episodes. Single episodes can be purchased for $7 each. We also offer half-priced annual subscriptions for universities. Students can purchase individual subscriptions, or professors can purchase bulk subscriptions for their classes. Numerous educators now use the Energy Transition Show as coursework, and their testimonials are available on request. And finally, we offer site licenses with group discounts on annual subscriptions for all members of institutions, such as corporations, nonprofits, and universities. So join us today and support our ad-free, hormone-free, organic, handcrafted, artisanal podcast featuring high-quality, cutting-edge interviews and news about the most important story of our time, energy transition. And now a quick look at some recent news items. Item 1. As we discussed in this interview, for much of the past year, thousands of protesters have managed to disrupt the mining operations at RWE's Lignite mine in Germany and prevent the company from clearing part of the Hambach forest to expand the mine. See the links in the show notes for some of that history. And now we are beginning to see the effects of those protests. On October 30th, RWE announced that it expects to generate up to 300 fewer gigawatt hours in 2018 as the mining restrictions reduce the amount of coal available to its power plants. And for 2019, the company anticipates a 9 to 13 terawatt hour reduction in generation as its lignite output falls by 10 to 15 million megatons. My quick math estimates that at an average value of 30 euros per megawatt hour, that amounts to between 270 and 390 million euros in lost generation revenue for next year. It's not hard to see why RWE is fighting to hang on to its market and expand its mine. Item 2. As I mentioned in the interview with Patrick, while most of the world still frets and moans over what to do about coal mining jobs as they try to phase out coal, Spain has directly seized the horns of the dilemma. It will simply pay the miners. Under the so-called just transition contracts, miners over... 
Well, that's it for this episode of the Energy Transition Show. Thanks for listening. You can find our show archive and give us feedback and suggestions at energytransitionshow.com and follow us on Twitter at Transition Show. Our theme music was by Mike Sugar and Mark Burnfield, who you can find online at mikesugarmusic.com. The Energy Transition Show is a production of the XE Network.